how you use them. T-minus three, two, one, zero, and liftoff. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the BizDoc Podcast. We've got a couple things going on today in a very interesting case study. Yet another startup CEO is going to jail for over-promoting, and when you over-promote and it becomes a public company, the SEC shows up. The Southern District of New York wants you to appear for a certain set of meetings called a fraud trial. Yep, we've got all that and more. So this week, here's what we got. We have the national debt is $33 trillion. And you were asking me, who exactly owns all that money? When the United States spends all this $33 trillion and gets into debt, who buys that money? Who do they borrow it from? I'm gonna show you who, and it would really surprise you. And a lot of us think that China owns all of it, but that's not true. It's actually some other country and the public of America ourselves. Then beyond that, we're gonna go do that case study on Nikola Motors. Nikola Tesla was one of the great inventors of uh, electricity and Tesla Automobiles is named for Nikola Tesla. Well, a competitor showed up, not really a competitor, but another EV company showed up and took the name Nikola. I've got the whole story on how the CEO defrauded investors and the public market and has been sentenced and is on his way to an orange jumpsuit in prison. All right, but first, let's dive in to the story of debt and who owns what. So debt, debt in the United States is $33 trillion now. $33 trillion with a T. That's a big number. And so let's go look at who owns it. Believe it or not, 22 to 25% is owned by foreign countries. 75, 78% or so is owned right here, what we call domestically. Here's a chart. And this is basically a market share chart. So each of these blocks represents the size of the amount that is held with all the dark blue on one side, 75 to 78% domestic and 22, 28 being foreign governments. So for, let's, do the, let's do the small part first. Foreign holders, isn't this interesting? Japan holds $1.16 trillion of our debt. Wait a minute, I heard that China owned all the debt and maybe they would dump it back on the US market. And SNL years ago was doing these comedic skits about how Obama was getting absolutely abused by the president of China who was wanting to know if he was ever gonna get paid his money. I thought China owned it. Well, actually Japan has almost 20% more than China. China, 902 billion, Japan, 1.16 trillion. Now, what do they own? They bought T-bills, which is our debt that is that we put out, the United Kingdom, 665. Now I'm gonna teach you some things about Europe. Europe, the banking centers is London, but there's also banking centers in Switzerland. There's a lot there. And people talk about the power of the Benelux region. Let's keep that up there if you would. And which is Belgium and Luxembourg and Netherlands, Benelux. It's a nickname for that area. Well, check this out. The United Kingdom, 665 billion. Then Belgium, 325 billion. Little Belgium owns 325 billion of America's debt. Luxembourg, even littler Luxembourg owns 300 billion. And then Switzerland, Swiss bank accounts, everything you talk about there, finance center, very wealthy country, 273 billion. And finally, this one, the Cayman Islands, owns $302 billion of US T-bills. 
So when you hear about people that had secret Cayman Islands accounts and stuff, it's turned into a wealthy country doing it, and 302 billion is owned by them, and another three trillion owned by other countries. So it kind of puts it in perspective, and this is through mid-year 2023 that this analysis was put together by a combination of Pew Research and publicly available information. So domestically, on the domestic side, where is all this stuff domestically? Well, the Federal Reserve System, you know, carries about six trillion dollars of it. That's that's our good friend, the head of the Fed, uh, Jerome Powell. Mutual funds, meaning mutual funds that you and I maybe maybe own through our four hundred one k. There's two point six trillion of T bills that are in mutual funds, and with the and with the uh, interest rates in the fives, four point seven five to five and a quarter, five and a half even. You know that makes it a pretty good, safe place to make interest. State and local governments, you know, our states own T-bills, 1.5 trillion with their own states. And then pension funds, 1.1 trillion. Well, pension funds, they're, that's an interest-bearing account, almost same as cash, that's making interest on low risk. And so that's part of the, uh, the portfolio strategy of the pension accounts. And we have insurance companies, $372 billion. Isn't that interesting? Where are they putting loss reserves? You know, who do they work with for that? You know, reinsurance companies, but then they also own a lot of it on balance sheet as well. And finally, depository institutions, banks. So isn't that interesting? You know, so now let's go take a look. How has the debt grown? Because all of this discussion talks about growth over time. And the next chart here shows this mountain of debt. So we can see starting in 2004, the mountain of debt. Now, take a look. As the mountain got bigger, other countries couldn't buy it all up. Let's go back and look. You can see this mountain of debt from 2000 to 2004. And you can see that the part that China owned and Japan owned was pretty big. But Japan has owned more than China all the way up to the Obama administration. But you see a little bit of bubble there where China owned much, much more than they had previously during the Obama administration, 2008 to 2016. You can see that there. But you see the mountain of other, as the United States put itself into debt, you know, around the world wasn't buying up those T-bills. We were buying them. The Fed was owning them. So you can see that, that as this has gone all the way up, and you can see how the other countries and everything have owned it, but you also see how China and Japan, their share has stayed right about here, and it needed other countries to come in and do it because China and Japan we're, we're hanging out at, you know, 900 billion to 1.1 trillion, which I thought was really, really interesting about all this. So you say to yourself, how has it changed over time? Because countries, their mood changes over time. The economic uh, discussions we have with other countries changes over time. So where does it all go? Well, let's look at this next chart. Look at these bar charts. So the pink chart is 2003. 10 years later is 2013, dark blue, and then lighter blue, 10 years later, 2023. So this is a 20-year horizon. Japan owned $600 billion worth 20 years ago, 2003, got all the way up to $1.4 trillion, and now it's back down to $1.1 trillion. You can see that. China was at $200 billion, and under the Obama administration, went all the way to $1.6 trillion, and still backing all the way down to the $900 trillion I mentioned a little bit ago, far less than Japan. But Japan has been a more consistent holder of uh, U.S. debt than other countries over time. You can see the United Kingdom, you know, started low, you know, and then um, 
grew a little bit, but they've really bought a lot of our debt. So United Kingdom in 20 years has tripled the amount of our debt, more than tripled actually, that it owns, um, as has Belgium, as has Luxembourg. So what does that say? That means Benelux, Belgium, Luxembourg, Netherlands, Switzerland, they had more confidence in the US as a safe harbor of currency. And the United King Kingdom, the same. So that, very, very interesting that you've got sovereigns holding this kind of, this, this amount, which is sometimes equal to one or one and a half times their GDP is held in US dollars. So it talks about dollar being the reserve currency, being the safety currency. Guess what? Here's an example where when they don't know what to invest in, they're investing in the United States of America through our dollars. And that's what's going on there. So thank you for the question. I thought it was a really good question. And I, as I dove into it, it even changed my perceptions a little bit because I knew about the Japan-China shift, but I didn't know how radical the China shift had been during the Obama administration until I stood back and looked at it. Really amazing stuff. And now something else that's amazing, talking about big dollars, we're going to go talk about Nikola. Nikola is the truck EV truck company, and we're going to talk about what their CEO did and how they um, got into a load of hot water and things are even hotter than you would imagine right now as the CEO is being sentenced to prison. So anyway, let's go over to Studio B and I'm going to grab my ball. I have today with me Black Cherry, one of my favorites, Black Cherry, Watermelon or Cucumber Mint. Buy them right there on Amazon. Unlock your brain with Vault. No sugar, no caffeine. Now, I'm going to see if I can unlock your brain with a case study about Nicola. All right, all right, all right, I found my board. Put my vault right there, I love that black cherry vault. Okay, today, as I indicated, we're talking about the case study of Nicola, an EB company where the CEO got really sideways with investors and the federal government and is now headed off to prison for four years, having just been sentenced. Given all that was in the headlines, I got some comments from you and I said, you know what? Let's do a case study breakdown on Nicola, on the company itself, all the way through to where the CEO ends up in the clink. Nicola. Nicola was the first name of Nikola Tesla, the electricity pioneer. And we know the other EV company, the incredibly successful one led by Elon Musk, chose Tesla's last name. This one is based on Tesla's first name. So away we go. Nicola was founded in Salt Lake City by this guy. This is Trevor Milton, the CEO. And we're gonna talk about his background in a little bit because it's shocking. He didn't go and get a comp science degree. He didn't go to some institution. He didn't drop out of Harvard like Mark Zuckerberg did. He did some other things that we're gonna go into which are not very successful and some of them even traditionally a little weird as you'll understand. Nonetheless, it was founded by him, named for Nikola Tesla in Salt Lake City back in 2014. 2016, 2020, he was announcing, talking about, and launching, in quotation marks, vehicle concepts, including this natural gas truck um, where that he said was eventually going to be hydrogen, you know, producing electricity, batteries, and all of this great story of these clean energy trucks. Uh-huh. Well, we'll find out what happened. So by 2020, he did an IPO by SPAC. Now, an IPO by SPAC is where a company on the market is basically gone defunct. They use the ticker that's on the market, put a bunch of money into it, usually tag the uh, price at $10 a share or so, and then you merge your company into it and change the name to your company. 
So if that all makes sense, you basically merge with a ticker system sitting next to a pile of money. That becomes your IPO. But these kind of IPOs, they're not as strict as traditional IPOs that require you to put an S1 at sec.gov and obey a bunch of other things. It's looser for the SPACs because you're merging with somebody who's already on the market and supposedly has passed inspection, standards of trust, audits, and whatnot. Uh-huh. Well, you find out that SPACs can be a little, little iffy, as this one was, especially if you're led by a guy like him who eventually ends up in prison, which is where he is headed. No word on whether he's in an EV headed to prison, but he's into a certainly heading to prison because of what he said about his own trucks. Anyway, they go public with us back in June and his title goes from CEO to executive chairman. So a little bit of interesting intrigue that was there. So now it's on the, on the market. Let's focus on the green part. So it goes out on the market. I think it was June 2020, immediately jumping up to, a, you know, astronomical multi-billion dollar valuation there. And by the way, this is that $10 line before it went public which is the SPAC. It's sitting there with the stack of money and a ticker symbol that would be changed to, da-da, Nicola. So away we go. And now you see that it's at 82 cents, down 91% over time. Even more than that, if you calculated how far down it's there, it's down like 99.5%. Nonetheless, you can see what happened here. 2020 goes up like a rocket, starts coming down by 2021. The controversy and the CEO actually leaving the company, or executive chairman was his new title, leaving the company, and then it rolls on out. So now you can see when something like that happens, investors that believe the story and get hammered so quickly, sometimes it's just a company didn't do well. That's just the way it is. Other times, it's why did that go up? Why did people think it was going to do well? What did you say? When did you say it? And was it legal to say what you said? Was it even truthful? That's the story here. So within months of the SPAC we have here, you know, they're considered a promising EV stock, but that didn't last too long. Um, <clears throat> their peak market cap was 30 billion and September 10th, here it comes. People smelled a rat and Hindenburg Research, which is a short seller, short sellers usually put out contrarian reports about companies because they're short sellers, but they're very open about it. Nonetheless, they put out this um, research report and they said, we have found false and misleading statements all over the place. And we've gone through the closet and found a box load of them. And we want everyone in America and the SEC to know about it. September 21st, not even two weeks, 11 days. Milton steps down as executive chairman. Out, or as they say in Argentina now, or whatever that word is for out. <clears throat> The company reveals, hey, we've got this investigation going on. We didn't like the Hindenburg report. So we go looking into it to find out what's going on. And we don't like the fact that it's basically saying we're a house of cards. We went back in and looked at it and we have told Milton, get out of here and get out. He did. Then what happens on September 23, <clears throat> two days later, guess what? British Petroleum backs away from their, their refueling agreement. Then on November 1st, GM says deal to take equity stake is off. Mari Barra was a CEO and people said that she was trying to use Nicola as a branding thing to help GM stock be perceived as, you know, in the lane of EV and doing well and cutting deals with technology and stuff. So that may or may not have been just a brand play for GM, but nonetheless, November 1st, GM says we're out. 
And here's the, one of the things that caused it. The fake video that caused it. Check this out. This is a picture of a truck running down a highway. In January of 2018, Nicola posted the video on YouTube and social media and called it the Nicola One semi-truck in motion showing the truck on a highway. This was a fake video and we're gonna tell you what they did. So the report from Hindenburg Research, and I've got a bunch of things here I'm gonna read. So we're gonna go into a reading session right now because some of this is pretty funny. Nicola One wasn't functional in December 16th at an auto show when Trevor Milton said, not only is this thing drivable, we're gonna put up chains around it so nobody hops in and drives it out of here. Turns out it was an empty truck that didn't have any components. It was a truck, <clears throat> it was big, it was a big show and they're talking about what's going on, but guess what? No, 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 it wasn't operational. So Hindenburg finds this out. Then they find a text message from 2017, which was right after the December 16 auto show, text message inside from a Nickel employee said, yeah, we didn't even do additional work on the truck and we didn't even start work on it till months after the show and it wasn't working. It was basically not even a prototype. There was no working engine or propulsion system. It was wheels, brakes, frame and everything, but there was nothing underneath it. <clears throat> we built a truck without an engine, put it up there on stage and they also stenciled on the side, you know, hydrogen powered and things like this. In other words, it was fake. You can say that if you say in the future, this is what we're building, but that's not what he did. He was selling vaporware. It didn't exist. Then they found that the truck in the Nicola One in Motion video was rolling down a hill, had no engine, and they got the thing to roll down a hill and then turn the camera at an angle so that when it was replayed, it would look level. They towed this monster of a truck to the top of a hill in Arizona let it go cruising down the hill. Hey, Fred, turn the camera. Okay. So when they played it back, it just looks like it's, hey, here's, the, here's our truck. Just going by silently because it's an EV truck powered by advanced hydrogen and electricity. Wrong. It was completely faked. Well, when you fake all that for investors, you're kind of like Elizabeth Holmes, who did that for Theranos blood and deceived those investors to investing also tricked uh, some major um, US companies, pharmacies, into getting deals with her on something that didn't work. So, but she wasn't public. These guys have gone public in a SPAC and part of the, rewind 30 seconds, 15 seconds. But these guys went public in a SPAC and Trevor had been out there saying, oh, the truck works, we're shipping them, we're doing all that. That's what happened. So he's later found guilty, but let's dive in a little bit more of the research report. And let me read you a couple things from it that I think are kind of fun. So they had gotten into business with a battery company and the battery company was later indicted. So he's going on trial. This is the leader of a battery company that was a key supplier to Nicola. But do they walk it back and say, hey, we won't have those batteries because the guy at the battery company, they didn't really exist. They didn't really work. He doesn't have the batteries. He said he did. And he's been indicted. So he's going to be busy in a court of law. Southern District of New York getting his ass kicked. Nope, he doesn't walk it back. They double down on it. 
They also were using GM's battery technology and some technology in the, in the truck that was produced by a company called Cascadia. And they did a promotional video where off to the side, you actually saw a piece of tape covering the Cascadia logo on a couple of key components of the truck. So in other words, all the stuff that you were building, Nikola was just a design lab. They designed a truck and were trying to work with people to make it work. They said, oh, you know, we're completely green and we've got 3.5 megawatts of solar panel on the roof. Hindenburg Research and others, you know, use Google Satellite and other resources to find out there are no solar panels on the roof or anywhere in a mile of the, of the facility. So another, you know, fake statement that was being made. And they also said, by the way, there are five trucks coming off the assembly line right now. Hindenburg called Germany and asked the company, do you have any trucks coming off? And they said, we haven't even made one yet. What are you talking about? And so that went on. Now then, here's the part that I love. Hindenburg Research jumps into a section of their report called, who is Trevor Milton? Trevor Milton in the past, you'll love this part. This is like my favorite part of the whole case study here is to find this part out. This is, this is wonderful. Just wait for it. Here we go. After dropping out of college, Trevor Milton started an alarm sales company in Utah. He exited the business, and it turns out he had gotten into the business and overpromised this partner. So he conned somebody to letting him get in the business with him, put the valuation up here. Eventually, the whole thing fails, and the guy said, where's my 100 grand? And it was nowhere to be seen. So that would be step one of the, of the life of Trevor Milton. Then he launched an online classified ads website and sold used cars called U-Pillar. The guy was a used car salesman. You know, he wasn't a kid coming out of college. This was a used car salesman that ends up with a company defrauding investors and telling lie after lie after lie that is documented here. This isn't my accusation. This is going through the court case. This is going through the Hindenburg Research Report. People discovered lie after lie after lie and... When he was cornered by the media during all this, you're going to like this even better. They said, hey, you're not really making these fuels. You're not really doing this. You're not really doing hydrogen. You're not doing this. And we think we're busting you. The media halfway through the story had started pushing. And then he announced that his brother was um, joining the company and he gave him a title of uh, you know, a uh, natural gas component leader. And his only experience had been making new patios and home restorations. And so he brings his brother into the business and say, look, I'm giving you this title. Just don't say anything. I got to have somebody in here to kind of fake it. Well, guess what? It was another fake. Another thing that was going on. So is it any surprise that after all this, a used car salesman who comes and builds Nicola is later found guilty. First, the civil case. He was sued by the SEC, and he agreed to, and Nicola agreed to pay $125 million to settle the charges brought by the SEC against the company, and specifically naming the CEO. Then, the criminal case. Well, criminal is personal. That's against the CEO himself. Two securities fraud charges, one wire fraud. Hey, if you're going to be charged for one thing, be charged for several. Make it efficient. Now, does this case sound familiar? This is what the prosecutors said to Judge Ramos ahead of the sentencing. Just as Holmes, that would be Elizabeth Holmes, lied about Theranos manufactured blood analyzer, Milton lied about the operability of the Nicola One semi-truck. 
So now the government has basically got these templates. They just put your company name, put your name here, and they're in the Southern District of New York talking to judges. That would be bad. You don't want to be doing that. Anyhow, that's what they said, the prosecutors. And then they made the final summation statement as he was given four years. Now, Elizabeth Holmes got 11 and the feds were asking for, yell it out if you know, yes, you, 11, that's correct. And they said this, Trevor Milton lied to investors again and again. He did it on social media, on television, on podcasts and in print. But today's sentence should be a warning to startup founders and executives everywhere. Fake it till you make it is not an excuse for fraud. And if you mislead your investors, you will pay a stiff price. By Damian Williams, the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. And you do not want any of the U.S. attorneys for the Southern District of New York coming after you. And now he will be paying a stiff price. He'll probably pay that stiff price in the prison shower. Do the math. But he's all done. And that's it. And he's heading to prison. So, meanwhile, things are heating up at Nicola. Okay, so Tom, he, he went to prison. There was still a company there. They were making trucks. But things are heating up. Nicola shares fall after EV Maker recalls all of its battery electric semi-trucks following a fire. Nicola trucks can't stop catching on fire as fourth fire occurs. By the way, that would be August 14th. This is September 8th of this year. Nicola will replace batteries in fire-prone electric trucks. Hope they replace fire extinguishers too. And so that's October 19th. So basically the company that back there is making a product that they're just having suffering with. Nicola is probably going to be out of here trading at 82 cents a share. The stock market requires you to be at a dollar or more. They're on the verge of getting delisted. They got product problems that are going on with batteries. They can't stop. Fourth fire occurs. And these are, these are credible things. This is Freight Waves. This is Electric. And this is CNBC. This is not, you know, sites off to the side spreading political rumors about candidates. This is hard business reporting from organizations that know what they're talking about. And so Nicola is just suffering at the moment. So what are the lessons for you and me? Lesson number one, never fake it till you make it. Tell people, hey, we have a dream to get into business and we were going to build software that does this. We haven't built it yet. We don't even have a demo. We have some mock-ups of what we believe it would be look like, but it's up to us to make it happen. And we're looking for your investment to do it. That's honest series A investment talking about what you're going to build and always run honest demos. Once your software comes to life or your product comes to life, hey, this is our, this is our alpha. Uh, an alpha is an early playable or an early usable. Let me show you what it does. Not all the features operate, but let me show you the core of the engine that we're building to make it work. And that way you can connect people and their money to the various stages, seat, friends and family, notes like a safe note or the old convertible note used to be called, <clears throat> to, to seed, to series A, to series B. And at each point, don't fake it till you make it. Be honest about what you got and where you are. Phased milestone-based development is not only un understood, it's expected for investors like me, Patrick, Bet David. We've got um, Valuetainment Investment Groups, a PE firm we operate. We expect, you know, a test piece, then an alpha, then a beta, then a 1.0 release. We expect it. So be honest about it. You don't need to fake it till you make it. We're not going to be impressed. If we believe in the promise of what you're building to solve a problem, we're probably going to say, okay, let's take a look at it. Now, Valuetainment Investment Group, our PE, we want in 
inventors that have got some traction, that have put some of their own money in, that have initial customers, that have some proof points. We're not an incubator, so we don't uh, invest at the seed stage. We invest right about the time that alpha becomes beta. But all investors are different. Just tell them the truth wherever they are. And lastly, know when to fold them. If it's not going to work, fold them. You know, you know, I had a digital publishing company, and after a certain time, I realized that the playing field with Amazon was going to be challenging and wouldn't be able to get past it. So I went to a New York publisher, you know, founded by CEO of HarperCollins, and, you know, I said, hey, I'm going to get out of, the, out of the business. I see what's going on here. Why don't you acquire this and acquire the book list? Know when to fold them. It's not a sin. Look how many times Thomas Edison folded them before he invented the light bulb. And by the way, there's a guy you can go back and look at because he, although we talk about Thomas Edison as a great inventor, and he was, he was also a bit of a shyster with his own investors. And go take a look at how he didn't always tell the truth. And if it was modern time, he might have faced consequences for it. But know when to fold them because consequences happening faster. If you do things that are bad, it's all going to come down quicker. After Bernie Madoff, Elizabeth Holmes, SBF, Nicola, and there's a court case that's going on uh, with the young woman, Charlie, that sold her company, Frank, to J.P. Morgan. Who knows how that's going to go out? J.P. Morgan is saying you lied and you, you misrepresented. That's what they're saying. They're in court to find out who's right. She's saying, no, 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 all the diligence stuff I give you will prove I'm innocent. Well, she's going to have to prove diligence stuff that says J.P. Morgan knew that the company wasn't as big or something, and we're all going to decide this in court. And they're all, not we're all, they're all going to decide this in court. But she shouldn't even be in court. This is the example, J.P. Morgan bought the company and was like, WTF? This isn't what we thought it was. So anyway, the consequences are happening faster. <clears throat> and I hope it results in more shyster um, startup people and CEOs getting led away than giving a great opportunity to people who just want to tell the truth, don't fake it till you make it, run honest demos, and see if you can build a great company of tomorrow. Those are the lessons for you and me, and that is the cautionary tale of Nicola. I hope you enjoyed the case study. Now I'm going to pick up my black cherry vault, and I'm going to head back to the studio and wrap up. All right, all right. I hope you enjoyed that. I love my case studies. I love the fact that we can all learn something together. And I love the fact that people that overpromote, that don't do the right thing, and are kind of messing with investors and then messing with you and me, they should be sitting in the Southern District of New York on trial and then going to prison. That's the consequence of behaving badly when the whole point of capitalism and great startup environment we have in the United States is to give people an opportunity to try and the opportunity to fail, but don't fail dishonestly. If you like this case study, please check out these from the BizDoc archive. We've been, I think one of these is on EVs themselves. You can compare how other EVs have done. Until next time, I'm Tom Ellsworth, the BizDoc, and I hope I left you better than I found you.